talk me through uh, the next section here: tactical empathy. What's uh, how do you how do you how do you use that? What does it mean? Um, first of all, it was we put the word tactical in front of it to destigmatize the word because in common usage, the word is thought of as sympathy or compassion, and it's not. In, in usage, it's been convoluted and distorted. Oh, I can empathize. You know, I've been there. I feel that way. I agree. That was, that was not the original origin of the word or how it was meant to be applied. That was why I started collaborating with Harvard in the first place because Bob Manukin wrote in his book, empathy's not even liking the other side. It's not agreement. It's not liking. It's demonstrating that you understand. Now, and people equate understanding to agreement. In my terrorism days in New York, we're trying to get Muslims to testify against other Muslims in open court. And they were shocked by that by a whole bunch of reasons. One of you know, if you want to be proud to be an American, you know, have have a uh, an Arab Muslim who's uh, in this country just trying to work really hard. They said to us after the trial, you know, when you told us ahead of time this was about the truth, we thought you were kidding. And having gone through the process, we realized that your system is about the truth. And so how do we get how do we get those Muslims to come in and testify honestly? I would sit down with them and I'd say, right off the bat, you think for the last 200 years there's been a succession of American governments that have all been anti-Islamic. And they would go, yeah. Now, that's empathy. I never said it was true. I didn't say I agreed. I didn't say I disagree. I took no position whatsoever on that statement. I say, you think this. And I'd nail it on the head. And none of it is that hard when you really realize, you know where the other side's coming from. You're just scared to say it. Like I'd say it to these guys and you just watch them be shocked and then dial in with me, having said what was in the back of their mind. That's all it is. And, that's, and that is a, a similar thing to labeling. Uh, you say here labeling is a way of validating someone's emotion by acknowledging it give someone's emotion a name and you show that you identify with how that person feels it gets you close to someone without asking about external factors you know nothing about think of labeling as a shortcut to intimacy a time-saving emotional hack so this is similar to oh this is what you think about a certain subject which now i'm reading back to you hey you think that the past 200 years has been anti-islamic governments this would be it seems like you're angry about the way the Islamic world's been treated. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a great start. <laughs> a good start. Like so, some of this stuff is ridiculous too, and especially talking about politicians. Like I'm surprised more politicians don't, don't get this. Mario Cuomo, mm-hmm. Andrew Cuomo's father, Chris Cuomo's father, governor of New York. I saw him address a hostile crowd of African-Americans that were waiting for Winnie Mandela. This is just before Nelson Mandela gets out. Winnie Mandela's doing a world tour. They're keeping the pressure on the South African government, make sure they let him go. She's in New York. Heavy-duty African-American crowd, almost all African-American. Mario Cuomo isn't just 
not African-American, he's Italian, which in New York is a much different dynamic. Um, at the time, a couple of black guys had been chased out of an Italian neighborhood into traffic and had gotten killed by getting hit by cars. Tensions with the Italians are very high. Cuomo steps up into a crowd that is just short of throwing rocks at him before he said a word. He starts out and he starts going, you see a world that doesn't take your skin color into account. You see a world that doesn't give you a chance because of where you came from and how they perceive you. And he just started laying out thing after thing after thing after thing that they were in fact feeling and thinking, not agreeing with any of it. I, I guarantee you before he stepped out on the stage, he probably said to one of his aides, said, watch me turn this crowd around. They start cheering him inside of about five minutes. Before he's finished with them, they loved him. Like they were so in favor because he dialed into them and what they were thinking and feeling and he wasn't afraid to say it. And to this day, I'm shocked that more politicians don't do that. Because mm. it's not agreement. He, he takes no position on it whatsoever. This is what you see. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, it, it lets that person understand that you understand at a minimum. Which is what we're looking for. Um, uh, you say here, as you try and insert tools of tactical empathy into your daily life, I encourage you to think of them as extensions of natural human interactions as not and not artificial conversational ticks. In any interaction, it pleases us to feel that the other side is listening and acknowledging our situation. Whether you are negotiating a business deal or simply chatting to a person at the supermarket, Butcher counter, creating empathetic relationship and encouraging your counterpart to expand on their situation as a basis of healthy interaction. Now, this is something I say to people a lot. I say, hey, listen, you can't pretend to do this stuff. You're not Robert De Niro and you're not Meryl Streep. So don't pretend to be curious about them. Don't pretend, just really feel that way. Yeah. You need to say, hey, I really want to learn what you, you know, I really want to understand what you're thinking here. Because if you're trying to act, you're going to fail. <laughs> Most people are going to fail when they're trying to act. Right. And I always say intent has a smell. Hmm. So if you come in there and you're just trying to butter me up with some little conversation, I'm going to smell it. Most people are going to smell that. I know when I, the reason I know that is because when I was a young SEAL, I was the youngest and most junior guy in my first two SEAL platoons. So when, you know, the boss would come in, we all, we, we you know, whatever bullshit he was throwing, we'd see right through it. Like, okay, I see what's really going on here. Intent's gonna have a smell. So it should be earnest. All this stuff should be earnest. Uh, you go on to say some key points here. Imagine yourself in your counterpart situation. The beauty of empathy is that it doesn't demand that you agree with the other person's ideas. You may well find them crazy, but by acknowledging the other person's situations, you immediately convey that you're listening. And once they know you are listening, they may tell you something you can use. So boom. The reasons why a counterpart will not make an agreement with you are often more powerful than why they will make a deal. So focus first on clearing the barriers to Agreement, denying barriers or negative influences gives them credence. Get them into the open. What do you mean by that? Which part? Uh, You and I are talking and what barriers are you looking at? What barriers, sometimes you're saying barriers, the reason I'm not gonna agree to a deal isn't because I can't find common ground, it's just that there's these barriers that I have that are 
that are worse. Right, right, right. So first of all, uh, there's kind of three different things there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to drive the state through the heart of common ground to start with. And this is my theory on common ground. First of all, the strongest common ground is usually ethnicity or geography, and geography is more powerful than ethnicity. Like if, if you and I grew up in the same neighborhood, um, and I don't know what all combination of ethnic, ethnic groups you are, because like if you were in New York, you'd be one of five, and I wouldn't know which one it is. <laughs> He's you know, talking to Echo Charles right now, by the way. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but if we grew up in the same neighborhood, like you and I would resonate. Now, if you and I had the exact same ethnicity and you grew up in New York City and I grew up in Mississippi, we're going to like, I don't know what this dude is talking about. <laughs> There's going to be some resonance, but geography is stronger. Now, then common ground also. Why do I want to have common ground with you? So you understand me. So we, sh- we share core values. You understand where I'm coming from. And if, so if I just demonstrate that I understand... I don't got to be what I don't got to be from your neighborhood, you because what common ground is does this guy or gal understand me, so that just shows somebody you understand, and common ground is unnecessary, not a barriers. Um, example: one of my favorites, uh, Bob Iger's book, The Right of a Lifetime. He's sitting down to negotiate what ends up being the sale of Pixar to Disney. At the time, Jobs hates Disney, seethes with hatred for Disney. And when I went to school, everybody writes up that purchases, you know, it was obvious, it was a great move, it was great for both companies. Not how this thing goes down. Iger gets put in charge of Disney. He reaches out to Jobs because he, he knows there's been bad blood. Iger's been the number two guy at Disney for nine years. Reaches out to Jobs. And on some congratulatory thing, and Jobs immediately shoots back at him, how long were you Michael's number two? Because he, he's blaming Michael Eisner. <laughs> how long were you the number two guy? Well, this was always going down. Not willing to accept any compliment. So Iger says, let's talk about this. Jobs says, come on down. Yeah, you want to talk to me? Come into my backyard. Go to the Apple campus. They get ready to set up. Uh, Jobs wants to work off a whiteboard. Pros and cons. Offers the pen to Iger. Says, you go first. Now, Iger knows how much bad blood there is here. He is not anxious to say a word. And this is in his book. So he says, not Steve, go ahead. Steve gets up, Jobs starts writing all the reasons why not to do it. All the barriers. He effectively does this approach on himself. Yeah. And writes some nasty stuff about Disney. Like just short of out and out profanity, insulting, your culture sucks, you guys suck, everything about you is horrible, your children, you know, I mean, he, everything. <laughs> He's laying all this stuff out there. And he, and he kind of gets done, and he looks to uh, hand the pen back to uh, Iger, who's, who's not just crestfallen, because he just think, feels like he's gotten the, the stuffing kicked out of him. And he says, well, I guess there are a lot of negatives there. And Jobs looked back at him and says, you know, sometimes the positive outweigh the negative. Because he deactivated all the barriers. They got all the barriers out. They got them out into the open air. They cleared their head by first discussing and just calling them out. 
Like, Bob Iger does not offer a bit of explanation for any of this. No, Iger never says, but that wasn't true, or but, oh, yeah, you know, nothing. He doesn't say a word. He just lets all the negatives get out there. And when he, when he lets Jobs run the full course of the reasons for not doing it, then Jobs is left with the positives, which is, in fact, the way humans make decisions. You will reconcile in your head how do you live with the negatives, deal with them, deactivate them before you decide to do something. If you can reconcile all those negatives, as soon as you do, your brain then goes to the positive. And then the positive picks up this tremendous amount of velocity having been unshackled from the negatives. 